Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable, and that's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back, and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the U.S. where I now have Rabbi Miles Weiss on the phone with me right now. You'll be able to hear him if he's still there. Hey, uh, brother, are you still there? I am. Excellent. And for those of you that are listening to this podcast, you might have a bit of an echo. As you know, I'm usually doing the podcast as I'm traveling on the road and you caught me this time in an empty house, um, getting ready to sell some things here in the U.S. And so you're going to have this like <laughs> this echo chamber. Sounds like maybe I'm being held hostage somewhere. It's just uh, the sound bouncing off of the room. But uh, Weiss, it is good to have you back with us, brother. Yeah, I'm glad to be with you, Eugene. It does sound like you're in a, a very well-constructed bathroom for singing bebop songs in the 50s. Yes, that's exactly what it... I This is this is like exactly singing songs in the bathroom. Uh, that's, that's what it feels like. Um, I know that we don't have you for very much time, but I... Um, I know that there was a, a big event that you are connected with quite intimately, and I wanted to allow some time for you to share about um, the the attacks that's taking place uh, on the side of the world where we usually connect, which is in Israel. Yeah, well, a couple of things are going on. Obviously, back in two thousand May third, we saw the uh, barrage of six hundred ninety rockets from Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad, uh, which was planned, but held until the perfect timing. And the, the impetus for it was that uh, two Israeli soldiers, IDF soldiers, were shot. Israel responded, which is their duty and their responsibility to do to protect the people. And then this barrage, which was obviously pre-planned, came in and overwhelmed Israel with 690 rockets within 48 hours. Uh, can I, can I just say course. that I watched that? I, you know, I was paying attention to that. Yeah. My, my, my wife's cousin um, lives in what they call the occupied territory or whatever. And um, so she was writing about this and nothing. I had to go digging like a couple pages deep and, and put in special keywords in order to find anything about it on Google. But then Israel's response, front-page news, wall-to-wall coverage, crazy. And that's the sad story of the state of our media and the failure of journalism. Today, it's become a political weapon and an opinion weapon, and it has no longer lost the who, what, where, why, and when that journalists used to be trained in. And so the tragedy in this for Israel was that four Israelis were killed, including one Arab-Israeli citizen. How ironic that uh, the Hamas, because of their hatred of Israel, will randomly send these rockets in, even if it means killing their so-called brothers in, 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 uh, by you know, genetic brothers, Arab, Arab, Arab countries. In a precious moment, the president of Israel, uh, Rufa, went to the Arab family 
of the one who had been slain by these rockets from Gaza, and the, the Arab, the brother of the slain father, the father of several children, who was killed by these rockets, and the, the, the Arab Israeli citizen, and the fearlessness, you know, there are many Arab Israeli citizens who are very, very grateful that they are in Israel as citizens and not under the dominion of either Hamas or Fatah or any of the other Arab nations where there's such oppression and such um, difficulty to live. They're grateful to live in a democratic society where they can live, make a living and raise their children. He wept and he said, I can't believe the president, the Jewish president of Israel has come to my home to express his condolences for the loss of my brother. And for the Jews, it's like, hey, why wouldn't we do that? It's like, you're our brother, you're our citizen, you're a part of Israel, you're a family. We're going to come and say, we're so sorry that, you got, that your family was attacked. Now, the reason for the Hamas outbreak was several levels. One is that Hamas in Gaza and Fatah in the so-called West Bank, which clear listeners, is the mountains of Israel. It's Judea and Samaria, where the Bible takes place, where Jesus walked through. It is the heartland of Israel. It's not the West Bank of any river. And... That whole area is currently controlled by the Fatah, the descendants of Yasser Arafat and the Palestinian Liberation Organization. There's trouble between Fatah and Hamas. They're always in competition and always not thinking the other one is doing the right thing to either wipe out Israel or wipe out Israel because neither of them cares about their own people. I know that sounds like a pretty factor on the ground that we pour billions of dollars in both of those organizations. Palestinian Arabs never get the benefit of it. Why? Because their goal is not to help their own people. The goal is to destroy Israel. And so that was part of the reason for this, is to show Hamas, to show that we are stronger and we need to stand up against Israel, not like Fatah and Mahmoud Abbas. It's one level. There's another level that may, may not have been on the news, which is that this wild uh, Britain's got talent, there's talent, the voice, uh, this, this Eurovision is a Europe-wide and international singing contest that takes place every year. And the person who wins it, their country is allowed to host it the following year. Well, last year, it was won by Israel. A beautiful display of Israeli talent. And so this year, Israel was to host it in Tel Aviv. And so what Hamas was trying to do was to scare off the multiple thousands of tourists and visitors and dignitaries who are on their way to Tel Aviv to uh, witness and be part of this Eurovision. By the way, parenthetically, for your, for your listeners, if you go on Google and search that Shalav, uh, Shalva, sorry, Shalva, S-H-A-L-V-A, Shalva, it's a play on the word Shalom. It is the Israeli band this year, the new one, but they came into the semifinals and it's a band in Israel, singing band, made up of physical and intellectually disabled people. And it's such a contrast of the hatred and the death and the rockets and the planned destruction of civilian life from Hamas to Israel, and Israel putting up in this worldwide international concert a band made up of the least of these, those who are blind. You know, for when it comes to Eurovision, I mean, 
my you know half of my family is in uh, is in Europe and they're they're very much into music and uh, I mean myself I'm also European uh, I carry European citizenship and so we watch Eurovision and one of the things that we found very ironic is that there were there were uh, gay groups who traveled to Israel that decided not to boycott Israel but instead to protest Israel in Israel at Eurovision. So they're holding up signs that are pro-Palestinian in Israel right. as, you know, gay as a member of the gay community. I found it ironic because if they would have just taken those signs across the, you know, to the other side of the border uh, into Palestinian territory and 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 flouted their gayness in <laughs> in Palestine, I don't think that they would have lasted very long. So not only does Israel tolerate, you know, and, and embrace and allow, because um, you're talking about the diversity with, with the, the Shava band, um, you know, with the, uh, you know, embracing them as being, um, a, a, the, the world might see them as not being so talented because of their handicap. But um, uh, th there's a lot of diversity in Israel, and so they accept you know all kinds, even homosexuals. I mean, you'll have gay pride parades and parties and those kind of things in Israel. But uh, the, the the this gay group um, protesting Israel, holding up pro-Palestinian signs, just seemed to be the epitome of uh, irony knowing that they could take those signs just across the border into Palestinian territory and, and, and probably would not last very long uh, without being persecuted for their well, lifetime. That's, the, that's the, the sardonic, ironic age in which we live, that, that Israel is the only place in the Middle East where protests like that could take place. If they were to do that in any of the surrounding states, they would be jailed or exiled or murdered. We don't know what, but it's just so hilarious because uh, hilarious in an ironic sense, not funny, funny, but funny, odd, that Israel is demonized for uh, doing the very thing that these folks are asking for. Most people have a lay-day-pair attitude towards sexuality, but not really that, that concern about what other people do and all to, to abandon our own beliefs. You know, uh, be, be mandating to abandon our beliefs. Like, go ahead, do what you want, but don't tell me I can't believe what I need to believe. And, but in Israel, it's extremely open and democratic, unlike Gaza or the West Bank or any of the surrounding Arab nations. And it's just, uh, it's, it's sad that somehow this confluence of uh, so-called progressive, um, repressive mentality and Muslim mentality have found this, this unholy alliance that allows ancient Jew hatred and modern Jew hatred to find a place together. And that they, you know, it's, it's temporary because ultimately the progressives that are touting the openness to Islam, etc., so will become the victims of Islam, just as those that joined the Communist Party in the Soviet Union became the victims of the Soviet Union eventually, if they were not with the party line. And we're at a place, at least in the West right now, what I'm seeing in America is this precarious, precarious place of uh, correctness bordering on fascism, or the beginning, the offshore breeders of fascism, where you can't think what you want, you can't say what you want. Very dangerous situation. Israel currently, you know, we say two Jews, three opinions. You know, it's like, 
uh, everybody gets to have their say. I can agree with you, disagree with you, we can yell about it, we can argue about it, but it's not going to come to violence. And my friend, Waleed, who was a uh, PLO terrorist who got born again and is a Christian now, he said that the difference, Miles, he's Arab from Bethlehem, he said, Miles, the Jews will, will give you a headache. They'll argue your head off. Muslims will take your head off. There's a big difference. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good way to put it because I, it, one of the things – I mean you, you're in Israel uh, with groups and giving people introductions to the Holy Land and, and the, the roots of the Bible stories that people are familiar with but not familiar so much with the culture and the landscape. And so you're doing that on a regular basis. So I mean you must see the difference – in the living standards between the Palestinians and the Israelis, the everyday Palestinians, the everyday Israelis. And I have to say, in many ways, it looks like hate just eats away at your society. I mean, the hate that is, that is, that is encouraged and passed on from generation to generation is not doing the people any favors at all. Uh, Palestinians have a lot better life in Israel than they do in Palestine. Or would you disagree with that? Yes. No, not at all. I think that if you privately speak with Arab Israeli citizens, I'll give you an example, a very practical example. We were doing television uh, in Israel, and our driver was given to us by the Ministry of Tourism. He was a devout Muslim, and he would stop with hand five times a day to pray. And we, uh, it was the sweetest guy, great guy, and we just had great fellowship, even though we're, I'm a believer and he's a Muslim. We had great fellowship just as humans. And he would pull me aside privately. He said, brother, where your people rule, there's order. Where my people rule, there's chaos. This is a Muslim from Israel, a Bedouin actually, understanding that this inculcation of hatred that has its roots in the Quran is not helping my people. And that, in fact, this pro, this forward-looking, democratic, open society that Israel is, is better for me as an Arab than my own surrounding nations. And I think that's really true, and it's just tragic reports. I recommend the people to, uh, I think it's PAL Watch, PAL-Watch, Palestinian Media Watch, Inamar Marcus, man that I think you on television several times, several times. It's got a fantastic group of young people that are translating the Palestinian Arab media and, and uh, media into English and Hebrew, and watching over what is being said in Arabic, because we get one message in the West, in English, and we get a, there's a totally different message in Arabic. One of the most tragic things I've ever seen, and probably many of your viewers have seen, listeners have seen this, is the inculcation of babies, three, four, five years old, into Jew hatred and the hatred of infidels and how to stab and kill a Jew, just this crazy stuff that you can't believe anyone would do to, to their child, and that's happening. And it uh, gives credence to the state that the Golda Meir, former Prime Minister of Israel, she said, we will have peace, she said to the Arabs, we will have peace when you love your own children more than you hate ours. Wow. Uh, can can um, can I ask you now about the event um, that took place just a couple days ago? Um, you sent me a message right away on um, on WhatsApp. I was I, I I hadn't heard anything about it. I follow the news very closely. I hadn't heard anything about this until 
you wrote to me. And now um, I have you know, found a lot of different news outlets that have reported it, but it's not necessarily been on the front page of, of uh, secular news. No, not at all. Uh, no, of course, I have a close, close re- uh, relationship with Daystar Television because we did zone letter TV with Daystar for six years. And we also, of course, my son married Rebecca Lane, who is the daughter of Marcus and Tony, the owners and the, the media directors of Daystar. So, of course, we were watching carefully on Saturday morning at... Uh, about two in the morning, three in the morning, a firebomb. Someone set a firebomb on the Jerusalem studio and uh, destroyed the studio on Mount Zion. The Dave Tarr is in like a hundred, hundred plus countries and goes to uh, 200 million homes. It's just a very, very large Christian television that we're preaching the gospel. And, and we don't know yet. Like, I, wanted, I don't want to jump ahead and uh, say things that may, uh, people are speculating might be the cause. But someone who was caught on surveillance video leaving, you know, with a, a cap on, very hard to discern. The police are checking into it. But the, but the Daystar Studio, Christian Television Network in Israel, it's been on the air in Israel for many, many years, uh, with the favor of the government and the blessing of Israel, um, was firebombed and the studio was destroyed. Now, the interesting thing is that in a unanimous response from the leaders, Marcus and John Lamb, to all the children, including my son, who's the Israel liaison today, now, uh, their universal experience response was, we're praying for the salvation of the perpetrator, we forgive him, and we will rebuild, and God will bring beauty from ashes. And in fact, I think they're on their way in early June to Israel to film some programs so that we're going to do it, but they are on their way to, to do it as planned regardless of the destruction of the studio. So there's been a universal response uh, of blessing and support and help with the finances of the building. Uh, it has been in the Jerusalem Post. It was uh, noted on Fox News. And the best report that your, your listeners can hear is from CBN. Chris Mitchell did a very good one-minute or two-minute uh, report on it. Yeah, CBN is where I actually was able to read the most in depth about it. Um, they had shared right. that, uh, that that it was their studio that was a great location. I mean, overlooking yeah. the the East Gate, um, overlooking the Mount of Olives. Oh, I mean, you got a great view. I mean, it is prime real estate, really, in many ways, for anybody that wants a bird's eye view of most of the the biblical activities that you're reading about. And I can imagine being in that studio environment for, you know, any Bible study and, and, and reading about things, you know, in the Bible that you can just turn your head to the right and overlook. So it's not like you're sitting in it. Sometimes when you're, it's kind of like Manhattan, right? When you're sitting in Manhattan, you can't really see Manhattan. The best view of Manhattan is from Jersey, um, and, and, and I'm going. To, <laughs> a side note: I'm going there next week to preach, and we're purposely staying on the New Jersey side so we can look at the river and the city. 
<laughs> yeah, it's because you don't want to do you don't want to do a really nice meal, right? In in Manhattan and look over to the Jersey side so much because it's more of a working port. But we do the same thing. Our favorite crab house in the world is uh, just right there across the across the water where you can sit and have uh, amazing crab and look at the city. And so I'm just sitting here looking at the destruction of this this studio that was firebombed. Um, it, overlooking Mount Zion, overlooking the Mount of Olives, and it looks absolutely destroyed. So that could not have been a. When you said firebomb, in many ways, I think in my mind I was thinking, um, you know, like a Molotov cocktail kind of thing. But this this thing scorched earth around. So I mean, I'm looking at the kind of an aerial photo, and the uh, the, the ground around that area was was scorched from the flames that were that were coming out so i mean this is this this was not a small bombing no no not at all this was a very calculated very targeted this person went inside the studio and a surveillance video of him throwing a rope out of the window and and, and climbing down as the as the fire went off absolutely intentional arson and uh, we'll find out what we find out. There's some speculation about who did it. But here's the thing that's fascinating to me about it. And this may seem a little bit <laughs> a connection, but maybe not to you. I think that the prominence of Daystar and the importance of its ministry as a voice for the gospel around the world, the fact that they were attacked in Israel, I believe will awaken and is awakening can awaken the world to the attack on Christians around the world. One of my contentions is, uh, this is the you know this is the heartbeat of what you do, but my contention that I, I constantly lead in our congregations and in my newsletters and my everything I do is connected to uh, if there were and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and then Corey Chamboom and then Oscar Schindler to save some of my people. In the 20th century, it's incumbent upon me, a Jewish person, and the church at large around the world, to be aware of the persecution of Christians in the 21st century. And so I think this will be like a catalyst. I mean, aside from the fact that it will come back, it will be from ashes, God will preach the gospel again through days, start in Israel and around the world. But I'm hoping it's also going to be a catalyst an awareness on the part of the world's believers about the plight of Christians in the Middle East, the plight of Christians in China, the plight of Christians that are being persecuted around the world. And I think it's a wake-up call. Wow. Um, I know that uh, our time is now coming to an end. Um, If you could just share um, a, a prayer request or if there was something that you wanted to put on the hearts of the listeners that are listening to the Back to Jerusalem podcast, things that they can pray about in regards to Israel, in regards to Daystar, in, in regards to this attack, in, in regards to, uh, or in light of, I should say, the, uh, the, 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 the bombs that were flying overhead of Israel just a couple weeks ago. What would be uh, the, the main focus that you would ask Christians around the world to pray for in, in regards to Israel? Yeah, I think that the, the love for Israel that most many Christians have needs to move from sentimentality to a visceral understanding that we are in this together. And that as Christians, they need to understand that even though the Jewish people may not yet see Jesus as Messiah, 
our love and our provoking them to jealousy is what will set up this tremendous revival that is coming among the Jewish people. Why is that important? Because if our rejection has has been salvation for the world, what will our acceptance be but life from the dead? That's what Paul said in Romans 11. And so the Christians around the world need to be praying not only for the safety of Israel and for the blessing of Israel, but also for the salvation of Israel, because it's intimately connected to a world revival and the return of the Lord. So that would be my prayer today. And if they want to get in touch with us, we we're easy to find. We're constantly putting out sifted, accurate information and news updates about this, these issues, as well as spiritual insight into the meaning of the feasts of the Lord. And we're a faith-based operation. We have no large organizations helping us. So if your listeners want to connect with us, pay for us, support us, that would be fantastic. You can find us at NK, that's from Alvin Catherine, H-O-P, is House of Peace. Who believe that God has broken down the middle wall of partition and brought peace between those different men and women, Jews and Gentiles, all races, all creeds, etc., etc. So it's mkhop.org. They can find us. Uh, we're on our way to Israel to do marriage seminars in Jerusalem to help the marriages of the believers. And we're on our way to the UK to uh, preach the reality of Israel in the UK, which is, as you know, is very. Uh, Let's say uh, cool and/or hostile towards Israel over the last few decades. So you can find out more information about what Miles is doing, uh, or you can even join their tours. Like he said, you can find them at mkhop mkhop dot org or milesandcatherineweiss.org. They also have a book that's out that I would highly recommend called When Heaven Hits Home. We have done a podcast. You can go through our archives and find out more information on that. Uh, Miles, thank you so much, brother, for joining us. I really appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. I know. It's really fun to check in, brother. I'll see you in August. Maybe we'll speak before then. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of the United States. God bless you.